Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to Belmont Buzz. I'm your host, Joanna Juvelis, and today's show, I'm so excited to say, is outdoors in Belmont Center in front of one of my favorite restaurants, Jamaica Jeff's. And our guest today is the owner of Jamaica Jeff's, Belmont resident, Jeffrey Lassiter. Hey, how you doing? Thanks Thank for coming you for being on the here, show. Thank, Thank you for coming on the show. Of course. I want to give a brief introduction about Jeff, but really brief is just not enough, but I'm going to try to do this briefly. He uh, recently retired. He was a U.S. diplomat for 23 years. During that 23-year period, he was overseas for 20 years. He uh, fought in three wars, right. and or should say served our country, served our country in, three, in three wars. And he spent a lot of time living in Barbados and Jamaica which is what inspired him to open up his own restaurant, this business venture, Jamaica Jeff's, right behind me. Right. So I'd like to know, Jeff, why why would you want to work in your retirement? Oh, okay. Well, again, I have two teenage sons, so I don't really get to retire at my standards yet. We love Belmont. We came here in 2014. And uh, I knew when I was done with my service that I'd like to do something to be a really part of this community that's been so good to my family. So it morphed from trying to open a bar, pool hall, into a restaurant, and we love the Caribbean. I've spent almost six years of my life working all over the Caribbean, and the food, and the culture, and the music is very fantastic. To me, it's a lot like New England, except different in the winter. Yes. And uh, we, it's been a great opportunity just to meet everybody in Belmont and kind of put a little bit of the Belmont hometown feel and the Caribbean hometown feel into one venture. And it's been almost a year. You opened October 10th. Right, I opened October 10th of uh, 2019. Yes, and it was going really good in the beginning, right? I mean, how would you just, outstanding, I mean. We exceeded our expectations. I mean, the business model was serve great food. If you don't like it, I buy it back at a low cost. Hire these high school kids, teach them a skill, make it a community project, do a lot of fundraising, and, uh, you know, just really have a place that was ours in Belmont and spawn hopefully greater things. So the first three months went fantastic and we pushed through January and February with some tough weather and we were all set to open a second one in March but then of course when the coronavirus pandemic kind of came full force the government shut it down. The governor I should say. So that was about six months in since right, your exactly. It was about March the 11th. You were forced to close, but you still remained open for for delivery and we would do service? we would do takeout and yeah. limited delivery. So we were able to do that March, April, May, and into June before the town of Belmont allowed us to do the outdoor seating, and then we began doing outdoor seating on June the 9th. 
which has been great, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. Continuing I, until the end of this month. Uh, it's been resounding. You know, 99.9% of the people that come through here from Belmont and other areas just love the city set up this way. However, you are still suffering. I mean, of course, no yeah. I mean, that. so my business model, I'm, I call myself the smallest businessman in Massachusetts, you know. Uh, I have 46 seats inside, all these colorful tables, and then we have a 12-seat bar. So the turnover and the amount of volume we were doing was great. You know, lunch, dinner, lunch, dinner, and the bar and the sports. And you know, we can watch the two football games at once or the Celtics and the Bruins at the same time. So it was going great. To lose the bar and lose the 46 seats made it difficult. Then to move outside, you're really dependent upon the weather. The rain makes it almost a zero, and you do limited takeout, and now we have about 30 seats outside. Right. Well, on August 25th, we had a special visitor in our town, Governor Charlie Baker. Yeah, was, I met him. Was at Wheelworks <laughs> in Belmont. Um, how did you hear that he was going to be at Wheelworks? I actually didn't even know. Okay, it's interesting. I learned about it about 10 minutes before I walked up there. One of my neighbors said, the governor's speaking up at Wheelworks, and I was mowing my yard. So um, if you saw me on TV, I had the same clothes on. So I actually walked up to Wheelworks because my understanding from my neighbor was that it would be a press conference. Oh, I see. And that you, we could ask questions when it was over. Oh, I see. So that was the intent, but obviously that wasn't the case. I walked up there from my house. I live over on Woodland Street, very close, and saw one of my servers, Vivian. I saw her mom, Christy, with a sign about education. So I just chatted with her for a while, not expecting to stay because the governor was inside of real works and they didn't let the public in to yeah. hear him speak okay. but we were able to hear what he was saying because someone had it on their phone so when he came out he walked right past me so i actually invited him to come to this part of belmont where things aren't going quite as well you did we, yeah. yes i i saw it <laughs> yeah well what you saw on the news was not the full conversation the news only played the part where it seemed contentious well why don't you tell everybody the whole story well i mean so i was standing there i had my business card in my pocket um, fortunately for me. And when he walked out, I said, Governor, I'd like to invite you to come see a part of Belmont where we're also struggling. Because Belmont Wheelworks is a fantastic store and they've been doing great during this time frame. And they were... That's true. I wonder were, why he went there. <laughs> I know he was encouraging people to shop local during the tax-free weekend. Right. And But, you know, their business model is different from a restaurant. So my point was, I know this is a great place. I've bought bicycles for my kids over the past four years there many times. And they're doing great and that's wonderful. But... I thought it would be great for the governor just to hear from one of us in the business community that was struggling. So he said to me, actually pretty nicely, well, what do you got? And I said, I own a small restaurant. And I handed my business card to him and he took it gingerly. He looked at it. He said, how's it going or something like that? And I said, honestly, horrible. And he had a strange look on his face. So I said, well, we're being blamed for this, for the virus. And I said, for basically restaurants and bars were closed for five months and coronavirus spread all throughout the Commonwealth at a rate greater than almost anywhere in the nation besides New York, and restaurants and bars were closed. And now that things are beginning to reopen slightly, somehow the spread of coronavirus is being blamed on restaurants and bars. Okay. And that's when the governor got angry. Were you expecting that? Not really. I mean, he pulled his jacket off his shoulders and put his hand up, and he said, look at Florida, Arizona, Texas. And I said, sir, I do. I follow that daily. I went to University of Florida to go Gators. My dad lives in Texas. I, you know, I have people around the country that I care about. And he said to me, all of their new cases, this is a quote, all of their new cases are because of restaurants, bars, and nightclubs. 
Then he got in his vehicle and he pointed his finger at me. He said, a hundred percent. Now that is completely inaccurate. It is. How do you know that? Well, I mean, of all the new cases being spread, if you look at the news, they attribute some to weddings. They attribute some to the beach. They attribute some to office spaces. They attribute some to who knows, but to sure. say it's a hundred percent restaurants and bars, that's, that's a completely inaccurate statement. And what it told me was that that's the governor's mindset. So as a restaurant owner, or if you've got a bar or a nightclub, we aren't being represented fairly with the governor. If he honestly believes that a hundred percent of the new cases in Florida, Texas, Arizona, California, and Massachusetts are due to the reopening of restaurants and bars, it's inaccurate. And I, I felt like that was needed to be said. So when I came to work about two hours later, people like you that I love, the news media were waiting for me like chicken hawks really? with their trucks and really? oh, Channel 7 News was here, Word Channel 10 so News. Quick. Yeah. So it snowballed from there. Would and then, you say you've kind of become a, a, a little bit of a celebrity since all of this? I wouldn't say that at all. I think it's notorious is a better word because some people call and say, hey, I saw you. Thanks for speaking up for us. Some restaurant owners in the Cape and in Wayland and all over the state. And then I've had, you know, threats where I had to go make a police report against some guy who I, said he I was did. coming to my house to attack me and my children. So I heard about it's that. two ends of the spectrum. So well, let's talk about your restaurant. Let's, let's do it. Let's yeah. For people who may not have experienced Jamaica Jeff's yet, what would you tell them about it? What should they expect? What is your menu like? Okay. Well, anybody who knows me, you find out in, in about the first 30 seconds. I have two kids, love them to death, and if you order some food in Jamaica Jeff's and you don't like it, I'll buy it back. That's, that's about as deep as I go. And we mean that. We want people to enjoy the food here. So our signature items is the called the jerk seasoning. It's interesting because jerk seasoning is actually referred to as Boston jerk in Jamaica. There's a place called Boston, Jamaica. It was originally where they started the jerk sauce by a group of people called the Maroons. And then they shortened it just the word jerk. So it's got a nice pepper, barbecue flavor. So we put jerk sauce marinade and we cook jerk pork, jerk chicken, jerk baby back ribs, jerk pork sausage. We do great things with fish in terms of codfish, sometimes salmon. We sizzle it in a pan with yellow, red, and orange peppers and that are caramelized with a tomato paste. Or we deep beer batter and fish, make it a fish and chips, like deep fried. We have rice and peas. We have the best key lime pie, basically on the planet. When I put grenadine on top of it to cut the tartness of it. And we also have, you know, tater tots and sweet potato French fries. Two fries, great salads. Plantains, right? Oh, the, the sweet plantains are outstanding. The employees like them so much, I had to almost quit giving them 50% off on those. <laughs> Same with the coconut shrimp, or we serve conch fritters. One of the best items, though, is this big plate of French fries with jerk pork or jerk chicken on top of it with the sauce and the spice. Hi! With melted cheese on top of that. It's like eating a cinder block. It's fantastic. So, no, we really have fun here. And then the full bar, we make island drinks, you know, the rum punch, the margarita. You'll see on the menu, it says number one in the world. And that was a serious vote. Uh, I voted. <laughs> and again, we top it right at the table with either a Myers dark rum on the rum punch or a Chambord or Grand Marnier on the margarita. And some other specialty drinks, but I also have beer from the Caribbean, like Jamaican Red Stripe on tap and in a bottle. Oh, I, that sounds great. Oh, it's fantastic. Or the Blonde Lager Carib from Trinidad and Tobago. 
and Banks beer, which you can only get in Barbados. So we have it shipped up here to Rhode Island to us from Barbados. We do get a lot of things shipped and ported, right? Actually, yeah. And I have a coconut porter now called a Iwa beer. So we it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be active and lively. I encourage people to try something. They may not know if they like it or not because again what's the risk to you you know now I know you didn't do this on your own you you actually don't even have a, a background in pro- professional uh, cooking. cooking no I have a background in eating <laughs> but so how did you learn to do this how did you get your menu like yeah so you? part of my living overseas and always immersing myself in other cultures trying to be successful in my work was to food and culture are hand in hand like language so I met a wonderful um, young woman at the time when we lived in Barbados she lived in Grenada and she was on her way to Europe to become a chef you met her when we first opened the restaurant I did so what she was her name Lisa. Lisa Lisa became a wonderful chef and she's been the head chef at a five-star resort in uh, Union Island in the Gren- St. Vincent and the Grenadines for 10 years so she came up here and she's a five-star chef she taught my entire crew how to cook and she was with us for four months then she returned to Grenada to uh, Union Island to work in her resort for the winter and was supposed to come back in April, but because of COVID, she wasn't able to return. Uh-huh. So I do have all the recipes are authentic from the Caribbean. The products we buy, you know, you buy good beef, you buy, I mean, good pork or good beef or, you know, we do a great hamburger, I should tell mention. It's on a brioche bun with a homemade bacon aioli mayonnaise. And we do sauteed mushrooms and onion on that. That's pretty popular. Getting pretty hungry. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we are not immune to criticism either. I've had customers say, hey, have you tried this? Have you tried that? And we've incorporated it onto the menu. So we did a uh, cream of mushroom soup and a customer said, you should put jerk chicken in that. And now it's a staple item on my menu or a tomato basil soup that's gluten-free because we have a lot of gluten-free options and we have a lot of vegetarian options. That's good. Now, if someone wants to order, is there a menu online? Well, on my Facebook page, you'll see the menu under the menu tab. And just recently, we've launched JamaicaJeffs.com, which is uh, the website that I purchased. And we had to upload it, and it took a lot longer just during the pandemic because people weren't able to work you know, out of their offices. But yeah, it should be up and running now. So I hope if you look for JamaicaJeff.com, you see it. Well, what, what are your hopes for the future of your business? What's your, what's your vision for Jamaica Jeffs? Well, if we can hang on, and I'm desperately gonna try to. <laughs> You're a superstar. We're, doing, we're gonna try to hang on. And I want it to continue to grow. I mean, I had some long-term goals. You and I talked about this in the beginning, not just training high school kids to work, but also making it a vocational activity for people that need a skill set that might be able to then go in the world and work and people coming from different backgrounds. We had the opportunity to open not just a second, but even a third Jamaica Jeffs. There were talks of interest of putting one. Yeah, we had to halt both. Uh, So the second one is still, we're ready. We know where it's gonna be and you know, obviously a lot of things have to fall into place and we need to be able to open before then. So the, the object is to keep giving back to the community and keep the community involved. Really, the fundraising is an important piece of it and keep moving towards more fundraising goals and then just kind of listen to the community and what the community needs we can try to respond to. Which is what, what I want, Governor, if you're listening, Charlie, I want you to listen to us so you can respond to us instead of just telling people what we have to do because we're actually the experts on the ground for our business and that needs to be incorporated into his decision is there anything more that you think the town of belmont could be doing to help restaurants actually you know the town of belmont from my optic has been very responsive i've talked to people in the health department 
they've actually, you know, spoke to me on the phone. We've exchanged emails. I went over there and we had a, a meeting from across each other in the parking lot with our masks on one day because I requested that. And uh, both Diane and Wes were great. They came down and explained some things to me. I really would like to make a push for, you know, the outdoor seating. And I know there's a lot of dynamics and a lot of equity involved in that in terms of parking and, you know, all types of businesses we have in the center. But again, from talking to my customers night after night, if we're open, I'm here. And I ask every customer where they're from, how they hear about it, are you having a good time? What can I get you to drink? You know, people absolutely love this European cafe feeling where their kids can be mobile and on a scooter. They can walk their dog by and get a free bowl of water. I mean, it's it's changed the culture of Belmont. It's slowed the traffic down here on Leonard Street. And we've really just, I don't know, it's been very communal where people have spent so much time indoors and we can't interact. The kids can't interact at school because the schools are closed. People are more in their homes. So coming out to the center and distancing and having things like sharing a meal or seeing their friends walk by, like some nice lady just beeped her horn at you. You know, this is great. It gives people a chance to still interact with one another. I know that a lot of people would like to see this become a tradition in Belmont, closing the street and having the outdoor dining. Yeah, for the but, summer. But I know that the town um, hasn't committed to that at this point, as well as the free parking, which is really a perk. Outstanding. But they haven't committed. I think, you know, we don't know where, what things are going to be like next year. Uh, if coronavirus is a thing of the past, will they do this again? Do you think they should? I, again, I had a great positive response from it. Now, again, it got so warm in the middle of the summer that there were times when people don't want to sit outside. That's so if people true. had the option, I'm sure on the 90 degree days, they'd have been inside enjoying the air conditioning. Yeah, I'd like to have both, but definitely in the evenings, this has been a great, great environmental, positive community spirit of, I've had two people sit down, Joanna, to have dinner. And by the end of their meal, they've had so many friends walk by that we've increased the table to eight, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Are you able to do that, though? Absolutely. The state law is that we can do tables of 10 or less, as long as all those people agree that they're, you know, these are people they're interacting with anyway. Right. A lot of times it's family members. Right. You know, they say, hey, that's my kid. Come over here. And the kid gets a free meal from his parents. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I did not know that. Absolutely. Um, considering your experience and, you know, serving in three wars and just your, your global knowledge and your experience, I mean, this pandemic, how much longer do you think this is going to go on? And, and what do you, I mean, some people say it's not even, some people think it's a hoax. Some people think, I don't know, this was all done on purpose because the election's coming up. I mean, what, what do you, what do you say to all these people? You know, I tell a story. It's kind of funny. My first son, Gordon, was born. We were actually living in Ghana in West Africa in 2002. So from the time he was six weeks old till he was a year and a half, he lived in Ghana. And it was right when uh, H1N1, SARS was in all over the world and it killed I think a hundred thousand people just in Africa we used to wrap him in you know double blankets and mosquito nets just to take oh, him wow. outside and then when my younger son my youngest son was uh, three years old we were dealing with swine flu when we were living overseas and uh, I was working in and out of Mexico some at the time too you know that affected 61 million people around the world COVID is very different and I think the acuteness for which it came on and the vastness for which it spread and the mortality, you know, it was, it's been extraordinary in the United States, you know, 180,000 people, almost but it's 200, almost 200,000 now. But again, the survival rate of COVID is now 99.89%. 
and the therapies, and apparently there's a vaccine that may come out shortly. Apparently there's five countries in the world that are successfully using the vaccine right now. So I honestly believe that within you know, a few short months, the dynamic is gonna change greatly. And don't forget, 80% of the public schools in America are open. Kids are playing high school football in every state. Um, professional football started last night. The Red Sox are playing, the Celtics are playing. The Bruins just finished, unfortunately. Uh, things are opening back up. Kids are back in college. It's, it's a terrible thing to go through, but it's something the world does have experience with. And I think, you know, doing the right thing, you can look in your rear view mirror, hindsight 2020, and you can point fingers at what we could have done and what we could have should have done. But I think everybody has a vested interest in helping everyone be healthy. So I don't take stock in people who try to place blame on one another for what happened in the past when they weren't armed with the knowledge we have now. Right. What I think we can do is try to build on that and learn moving forward. But yeah, I've lived through quite a few pandemics over the years. You haven't. I think, do you agree that fear is maybe even more of the problem? Yeah, I do. I think fear is the problem. I think it's stoked, no offense, by media. You know, I think... No offense taken. <laughs> I mean, I think, yes, you should be vigilant. Yeah. Yes, you should, you know, take the necessary precautions. But I also think you don't have to stay in your house of and not, not socialize. Absolutely. I think now you can get out, you can wear a mask, you can Absolutely. You know, take Absolutely. the necessary precautions. We've proven that that's the case. Look at the people around us right now, from the young to the older folks. If you're at a table, you're sitting, you're having dinner, you can be without a mask. Most people, I think, agree that wearing a mask is a safety precaution for themselves and for other people. And it's, it's probably the best idea. And it works from all in medical testing that we have available to us. And luckily you can get a mask now. So, so what shows have you been on okay. since all this? So it started on Channel 7 News that evening and it went on at 4 p.m., 6 p.m., 10 p.m., then in the morning in Channel 10 News. And then the next day, uh, Jermaine Wiggins, who's one of the announcers on the EEI Greg Hill Show, he talked about it. Wiggy. So, Wiggy. Yeah, he used to play for the Patriots. The, he caught 10 passes from Brady in the Snow Bowl. So he's a, he's a very funny guy, very talented in the radio. And the Greg Hill Show, so I was on the Greg Hill Show, called in and we had an interview that went on for about 10 minutes live. And then Howie Carr's representatives called me the next day really? and said, we'd like you to be on the Howie Carr Show. That's so I something. called in when they told me to at 5.30. I'd never really listened to Howie Carr, didn't really know who he was. This isn't, I'm not from this area originally. But we, I was on the Howie Carr show then for about 14 minutes. And that has been really interesting because some people are really Howie Carr fans and some people are less enthusiastic about his show. And I've heard from both ends of that spectrum. He was a really nice guy to me on the radio. He seemed yeah. like a really genuine man. So I'd like to meet him someday. And since Howie Carr? Since Howie Carr, uh, then it was in the Boston Herald and just had some other random phone calls from, you know, media outlets. And now I'm, I've hit the pinnacle. I'm on <laughs> the Joanna show. Belmont. Belmont Buzz. I love it. So thrilled to have you. You're my you. first media contact. You were, from the very beginning, you were been so supportive. I well, can't thank I, you I really think it's important to support new businesses in this town. I've covered the openings. I've covered the closings. I don't like covering the closings and yeah. I definitely don't want to be covering a closing of Jamaica Jeff. Well, so how are we going to prevent that? Well, I'm not, you know, we're never going down without a fight. And I tell everybody, we live in a great place, you know, town, county, state, country. I've been fortunate enough to travel in my lifetime and seen wonderful places and some places that are struggling. 
one of the things I tell the high school kids that work here all the time is we should cherish all these days. Even when we struggle here, we have a lot of resources in terms of other people that we can lean on, in terms of other businesses. I get great guidance from Jerry down at Champions and Damien and Leon and Lisa. I mean, we're all in this together. I know it's a cliche, but the town of Belmont really has kind of come together and said, how can we help each other? Well, I do think it's great that they have the street closed until the end of September. Right. And now the governor said that he'll um, allow outdoor dining to continue, but I'm not sure up until when. I don't know either. And My I, concern... I, you, I know you don't think Belmont will continue it, but isn't it worth asking? Well, of course. But the last Selectman Board meeting that addressed the issue, we the decision was made and voted on and approved that we would have the outdoor sitting through Sunday, the 27th, September 27th. Right, right. Then on the 28th, the gentleman that was in the meeting said they would schedule the equipment. That's to come, the public works right, director. Pull it up. So I know that we're in discussions to try to get some extension and try to keep some of this. But for someone like me, it's an imperative. I would definitely ask. Yeah. Uh, without the outdoor seating. Yeah, because without it. Without the outdoor seating, we're kind of dead in the water. I mean, you know, the restaurant can't run off of four or five indoor tables. Right, because in phase three, the indoor seating capacity, you have to have everybody six feet apart, right? You have to have six feet in each direction from a table. So a table limits. this size would be 144 square feet of space. That really limits your capacity. Plus, you don't have your bar. Can't run the because bar. Because bars aren't allowed to reopen until phase four, and we don't know when that will happen. Well, the governor got on television a few days ago and said there's no more phase really? implements okay. right okay. now. It's Everything's frozen. I see. Yeah. So let me ask you this. You argued with Governor Baker that, well, you, you basically said um, we're suffering because of your strict your restrictions. Let me ask you this. Do you really think that you could open your bar and there wouldn't be like another spike in coronavirus? Absolutely. What, how? How would that I happen? think we could maintain the same cleanliness standards that we're maintaining inside with tables. Keep six feet apart. You could have two people, six feet, two people, six feet, two people. If you and I were on a date and we came here in our own car together and we went in the bar and sat down beside each other, I think that would be perfectly safe. Where do you think it gets unsafe in these other states that the governor gave as examples? I, I personally am not medically qualified to tell you what's safe or unsafe. I know that in New Hampshire, 28 miles from here, bars and restaurants are open at capacity and they're not having any measurable difference in spike as we are here. I know, I've done the research, 123,000 people per day transit from Massachusetts in and out of New Hampshire. Okay, so a million people a week are making that journey. About the same number to Rhode Island and back where bars and restaurants are open. So a lot of people from Massachusetts are actually enjoying bars and restaurants in New Hampshire and then coming back to Massachusetts. But our businesses here aren't able to have that same economic uh, support. So. If, if the experts tell us it has to be six feet between tables, let's keep six feet. That's between individuals. It's not between pieces of wooden tables. So if it's me and you at the bar, then maybe six feet, we could have two other people at the bar. It's, it's so, I hate to use the word ridiculous, but we're at a point where you can push a table up to a bar and people can sit facing each other, but they can't sit facing the bar. I've seen that. Of course, I've seen it too. And if, if it was logical, it made sense to me. I'm a pragmatic guy who's done things in my life, you always risk versus gain. I wouldn't put anybody in peril. A restaurant by definition is a health conscious, regulated entity. And to have these arbitrary rules about the size of my restaurant compared to the size of a Home Depot 
it, it really just doesn't make sense. And I've asked the governor, I've asked the state representative, I've asked, called in to the health of department of the state, just give me some information. Come to my restaurant and show me what we need. I asked the governor, you know, in person, and I haven't heard from him at all. Yeah, I haven't heard not, from not any of them. Not since all of this, right? No, not before, during, or after. No. Which is a shame, because I'm sure his office is forward-leaning. I'm sure his office is interested in the health and welfare of the state. But listen, we just had Labor Day weekend. I should show you pictures on my phone on some of the restaurants and bars that I got. And I won't tell you from where, because I'm not going to, you know... Okay, what talk, were the pictures? Well, you know, from places in the vineyard and in the Cape. Okay. From all up and down the seashore. You know, it was wink, wink, nod, nod. Look how many people are here. Yeah. But then some of us in bars and restaurants are having to go by the rules. And I think the rules are wrong because people can safely choose whether or not you and your wonderful family who have eaten in my restaurant. What were there, 38 of them? No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> six or eight of them. If you want to go out to eat in a restaurant or bar, you have the option to do that. You can do it in New Hampshire safely. You can do it in Rhode Island or Connecticut safely. You could do it in Belmont safely. So you think that perhaps Massachusetts is being overly cautious? Absolutely. I think to the detriment of our state in terms of our citizenry, our financial. The restaurant industry is the second largest employer, restaurant, bars, nightclubs, second largest private employer in the state of Massachusetts. Massachusetts right now has the highest unemployment in the nation. We're pushing 17%. We also have one of the lowest transmission rates of COVID. We're at down below, I think it's 0.47. So That's we, true, we yeah. worked so hard to get to this point so we could reopen. And while the rest of America is reopening, we aren't. So we are making under the mandates that are finite, we're having negative tangible consequences that make businesses die and go away forever. And it's wrong. Some I have of my, seen a lot of Oh, it's terrible. Um, I One guess out I'll of four restaurants. Fatalities. Delina's yeah. in Watertown recently closed. Tango in Arlington, the great Argentine place. One out of four restaurants right now in Massachusetts is closed. One out of four. And has Belmont has Belmont lost a restaurant recently? Not that I'm familiar with on this street. No, we've lost a few businesses, but not any restaurants. How are you managing to stay afloat, and how will you continue to manage? Well, to I mean, afloat? we're working as hard as we can. I, you know, being efficient with the staff. Uh, working with my landlord almost on a daily basis to try to, you know, mitigate some of the extreme cost of running a business. Uh, rent's not cheap in Belmont, but it's fantastic. How we is have, your landlord? Uh, they've been as, as supportive as they can be. Yeah, they understand that this is our town. This is our community. They have a vested interest in helping this place thrive. They helped me get open, you know, in terms of giving me guidance and knowledge and of their years and years of experience and then working with me every step of the way when I had questions and now with this really tragic economic situation we're in, they've been, I think, more than generous. Well, if Governor Baker was listening right now, what would you want to say to him? I would invite him again just to come to the restaurant. I'm not trying to stick my finger in his eye and I say that no pun intended because he did it kind of to me. I just mean, honestly, I think that we are being underrepresented there's not enough information coming out of his office. And when someone like me, who's a small businessman, who's trying to survive, we're in a situation where we see other businesses have the opportunity to vend. Other businesses have the opportunity to participate and we don't. It's frustrating. A business exactly like mine, 28 miles from here, can run at full capacity. And people from Massachusetts can go do that, but they won't let it happen here. 
you can walk into small stores and purchase things. You can be nose to nose in other stores, but in our place where we're six feet apart and we're maintaining complete rules and regulations and disinfectant doing all these things, we're still not being allowed to do our business and the community wants it back. They do. I'm sorry I have to wrap it up. I've had so much fun Me talking too. to you and I could be here all day. This is just so fun to, to make to be a around. <laughs> Joanna. <laughs> to be in Belmont Center and um, yeah. you know we really are lucky to have what we have here in Belmont. Well let me just without being too ostentatious. I want to plug you. You've been a fantastic reference for me. You've been very supportive. Thanks. You, your family, your friends. It's great to know, again, that when you go into a venture like this with limited knowledge, like I did in the beginning, that I had a lot of good support. So, And it's made it as successful as it has been. Thank you. Well, I hope we can get through the rest me of too. this um, and yeah. that we that I don't have to do a story about Jamaica Jeff's closing over now. Yeah, that. like we'd always say, leaving the zone. All our worst days are behind us. You know, you've definitely been really fun to have on the show. And, Great. You know, I wish you continued success and strength. Thank and you very hope. much. Don't give up hope. Outstanding. We'll be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, everyone, for, for tuning in to Belmont Buzz here in Belmont Center on September 11th, 2020. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.